And what a privilege it is, again, just to be able to gather together in God's house and lift high the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And um, this is just uh, it's humbling for me and my family. I'm blessed to have three of the people who have poured into my life, I would say probably the most, uh, in, the, in the Lord's house here today with us. It's my mom and my dad. And it's my youth pastor, Russ. Uh, many self-imposed storms of my life in my teenage years, and God used them to lead me through. <laughs> so there's hope for everyone else, trust me. But um, I'll just uh, I'll lead us in prayer, and then we'll call Dr. Russ up to come bring the message here this morning. Um, he has been a pastor for over 36 years and is currently with Hope for the Hurting Home, and they specialize in helping um, marriages that are in crisis and trying to lead them away from the, the issue of divorce and, the, and that happening in the family. So be, please be praying for him as well as him and his wife continue on in that ministry. Let's bow our hearts and our eyes together here. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you again just for the privilege of being in your house, hearing from you, and then you giving us the tools and the spirit inside us to go do what you've called us to do. Go make disciples for you, for your kingdom, for your honor, for your glory, Jesus. Out of love of what you did for us on the cross, rising again in that empty tomb, which is indeed victorious. We love you, and we wait expectantly to hear what your spirit would say to this church. Let us have ears to hear what your spirit says to this church today, Lord. This is all for you, Jesus. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please welcome with me Dr. Russ Berg. Thank you. Actually, my middle name's Mark. I was bored, and I thought the uh, PowerPoint was really cool, so I just messed around with it and forgot to take it out. Well, I'm very honored uh, to be here, um, not only because uh, of Dave and Janet. Um, you probably already, well, you haven't known them long enough to know some of the things I know. And if Dave, over a period of time, tells you all the things that he knows, I will never speak to him again. <laughs> but Dave and Janet, when when Melody and I, after being at Maple Grove Free Church for 21 years, went into uh, support ministry. Uh, the only thing I knew as a senior pastor about raising support was asking the ushers to come forward. So we were, um, we were at this really uh, transition in our life where we had a whole new faith venture. And Dave and Janet were one of the first people to joyfully agree to support us. And all through the pandemic, all through the economic times, all through his transition, they have continued to support Hope for the Hurting Home without fail. And I want you to, you wouldn't know that, but one of the things you can add to the things you love about this family as you get to know them is the word faithful. Is the word faithful. Now that makes him sound like such a really nice guy, but... Dave was actually the first person who introduced me to the phrase hoser. 
And actually, I had to look it up, and it's Canadian slang for someone with limited education and intelligence. <laughs> and Dave being in the youth ministry, the wonderful thing, he tells you stories about all the stuff he got into. Actually, some of the biggest ones I don't even remember. But what I remember about Dave, our youth ministry flourished for a number of reasons. One of the main reasons was music. Every week, Dave hauled his keyboard up two flights of stairs and put a band together so that our kids could be drawn to the message of Christ and hear awesome music. One of the other things Dave helped me with is we're always looking for new and inventive ways to do youth ministry. And so we built a what we called back just before the earth's crust hardened. That was about the period where we were doing youth ministry. We had an electric chair. We took a stool and we uh, took some fencing wire and we took a Model A spark coil. Some of you know where this is going in a 12-volt battery. And um, we used it for various things. Uh, many a young person was encouraged to think about their eternity very seriously on the electric chair. <laughs> and when Dave asked me if I'd be willing to speak, he was so encouraging to me. He said, Russ, please don't screw this up. I only get ordained once. <laughs> so my, um, my responsibilities this morning are uh, very focused and they're very important. First one is to open the Word of God with you. The second one is to make you very happy that the other pastor, Russ, will be back speaking next week. So I think I've got a picture of my wife. I always drop dead gorgeous, can't find hunk of hunk of burning love. And so uh, we've been married 47 years. Melody says it's the 35 happiest years of our life. She wasn't able to be with us, but you would like her a lot more than me. So I leave her home occasionally. I'm also supposed to do a charge to Dave and Janet. So I have a couple of things I'd like to just briefly share with you. There's always a charge to the person being um, ordained, and then a charge to the congregation, and I think I call these the care and feeding of a pastor's family. So here's number one. Let them like you. Be really nice. Prayer and encouragement is always needed, but don't expect them to walk on water the first week. Allow them to choose their own close friends. After being in ministry full-time for 47 years, I now suffer from one piece of very stupid advice that I was given in seminary. Don't have any close friends in ministry. You'll ruin it. There's too much jealousy. You have to stand apart. That is the worst advice I think I was ever given. But all of you can't be their close friends, at least not all at the same time. So take a number, and you'll kind of get cycled, and as someone dies, has a fight, or moves away, you'll be moved up on the list. <laughs> Second is let them love you. Be really open without being really needy. Dave and Janet must love all of you. They don't have to like all of you, but they're commanded by Scripture to what? Love all of you. They don't have a choice. Turn to someone sitting next to you and say, they're going to have their hands full with you.
one little thing. Hospitality helps. There's a reason why Jesus and the uh, disciples had some of their most important ministry around meals. There's something about being in someone's home. They have a really cool home, by the way. So try to get yourself invited over for dinner. You've lot to explore. It's one of the most beautiful homes I've ever seen. Thirdly, let them learn you. What do I mean by that? Be realistic. It will take time to learn the ropes and the culture here. They're going to upset you at some point. They forgot your anniversary was last week, and they just didn't know. So the traditions and the quirks and what it means to be Iowan and the rich culture of this community, of why God planted this church here among you, the people here, it's going to take them time as you tell them stories about how God's worked in your life, you tell them over and over again about how God birthed this congregation here, they'll begin to feel and look a little more Iowan. Well, now I'm supposed to transition to the message. And I really like your pastor, not just because of his name and not because, well, a little bit, because he has a bear's helmet on his, um, on his shelf. And I'm from Chicago, and Dave and I are, he might not be a Bears, but did you get converted to be a Packer fan while you were? No. Okay, good. All right, praise the Lord. <laughs> my, my grandchildren have actually been taken captive by my son-in-law to become, one side is a Viking fan, the other side are Cheddarheaders, and um, I just love it that your pastor, you loved your pastor so much, you allowed him to keep that helmet there, But I have to remind you, your pastor's kind of insistent, which I think is a good thing. But I was trying to let him know, you know, Russ, all of my books are boxed up. We're moving this week. I just have a Bible and a computer. Who'd have thunk that you could get God's word from just the Bible? And so he said, preach on whatever you want, but it better sound a whole lot like Mark chapter 1, Verses 16 through 20. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you, if you will, if you would just stand with me while we read the Word of God. It'll be up on the screen. Let's read together. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And he left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Thank you. You can be seated. New Testament scholar A.T. Robertson in his Harmony of the Gospels reminds us that this, what's called the calling of, of the first disciples, 
it appears in all three of the synoptic, synoptic Gospels, and John has an account of it that actually occurs earlier. He writes this. Mark 1 through 16 covers a, the time frame of about the fall of A.D. 27 for about 18 months. Luke condenses all of the material. Matthew briefly touches on themes and topics, but I like, this is classic A.T. Robertson. Listen to how he phrases this. But in great fullness of detail, Mark's gospel plunges at once into the great Galilean ministry. Don't you like that? At once. Which is actually a phrase as you study Mark, you're going to hear a lot. Immediately. At once. Right away. We know from John's gospel, his account, that this is not the first time Simon and Andrew have met Jesus. In John 1.26, Andrew watched John, if you remember that, um, that little story, where John the Baptist sees Jesus, and he points to him and says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And there were two of John's disciples who were watching, listening to this, and ended up following Jesus. John apparently has a reverse idea of church growth, encouraging his disciples to go and actually follow the Messiah. But if you read John's text carefully, Andrew was one of those two. And it was at that point that Andrew, who we take it from the text, actually had been a follower of John the Baptist and now has been focused on Jesus, and he runs to get his brother and says, we found the Messiah. And Simon, because of that, gets a first-person interview with Jesus. So when we see Jesus talking to them in this text, it's actually the second or third time that Jesus has spoken to them. Because the first time they were introduced to Jesus, he made no ask of them. He didn't ask them to follow. In fact, there were two, uh, Andrew and the other unnamed um, disciple of John the Baptist were walking, and Jesus turns around and goes, what do you want? And they said, where are you staying? Translation, we'd like to hang out with you. And Jesus, uh, there, there are really some humorous things in the scripture. Jesus could have right then and there laid out the whole path of discipleship. He could have handed them a scroll and said, do some studying and I'll meet you back here in a month. He just said, come and see. And the text says in John's gospel, they spent the whole day together. So by the time, by the time that Jesus comes and asks Peter and Andrew follow me, they've already spent and hung out with Jesus for a whole day. Now, I'm going to introduce something that your pastor's totally free next week to correct the heresy of. I think, at least as I have studied Scripture and as I've studied my own life, and as I have been involved in discipling men over the years, as I've looked at the ups and downs of my own journey, I think there are seasons. I think there are seasons to being a Christ follower. 
seasons of being a disciple. I think there's this introduction, and I know we don't like the word fan, but the first time some of you heard of Jesus, you met him, you met him in a song, you met him through the preaching of the word, you met him in another Christ follower, some of you were intrigued, but you were not committed. You just became, I, I like this. I think this thing about being, learning about Jesus is a great thing. But you were a fan. Like many fans who have left the Bears high and dry. And they do not realize that the Chicago Bears, like any other team, any team can have a bad century. You have to remember that. And some of us sports fans, we're fair weather. There, I know there's some diehards here. Some of you have t-shirts actually underneath some of you didn't read your emails this weekend about shirt and tie. That's okay. I actually had to find one that fit me. But some of us are fans. We go through this stage. We've just been introduced <clears throat> to Jesus, and we're just, we're interested. We're interested. In fact, John's gospel doesn't tell us that Andrew and Peter started to follow Christ after spending a whole day with him. They went back to what? Their livelihood. What they knew. I think there's a second stage, and I know I might be mixing words. You can change these. This is just how it lays out for me. Pastors are incurably fond of alliteration, so it has to have an F in it. I think from the fan stage, I think it's natural to move to a follower stage. The fan stage is about getting introduced to who Jesus is. I think the follower stage is more about instruction. It's more about learning. In fact, it's interesting that John's gospel tells us in, um, in John, I think it's in John chapter 6, that after Jesus multiplies the loaves and fishes, he feeds them, they follow him around, the crowds follow him around, and he gets to the place where now he's starting harder teaching, and the text is very clear. It says, these words were so hard, his teaching required so much, and to some were confusing, that it says many of his disciples, many of his followers no longer followed him. This may have been your story. It may have been the story someone you knew, that you were introduced to Jesus and you were excited. You came to a church that was, and my goodness, bless your heart, everybody in this church needs a gas voucher. There are none of your houses are close to this place. <laughs> a church that's alive is worth the drive, amen? But you know of people who in their journey have stopped following. Now, at this point, please understand, I don't want to get into a theological discussion about whether you can lose your salvation. So just, you know, you're not going to invite me back to preach again, so this is okay. <clears throat> I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I believe the Bible teaches that. However, on the other side, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians encourages the body, make sure you are in the faith. Examine yourself. I know you'll pass the test. Why? Because sometimes we go through stages where we're still a fan of Jesus. We're just not sure how much we want or could follow. We're not sure of the cost. 
And then I think there's this stage, and I don't know when it happens. I think at 68, I think it's happened to me. Every Christmas, we sit down with our five grandchildren, and as we read the, the gospel accounts of, um, of the nativity story, of the coming of Christ, Melody and I, in the company of our grandchildren, remind them every year, kids, we've been following Jesus for over 60 years, and he's never once failed us. Why do we do that? Because they haven't lived long enough to know. They still may be in the fan or following stage. I don't, I don't want to get into a debate of whether they're saved or not. I don't think it's an issue of whether God will ever let go of you. He said he will not. I wonder if sometimes, because we don't understand the stage of the, the, the phase that we are seasoned that we're in, that maybe we may be prone to let go of him, even though he has not let go of us. And so for some of us, and I think the follower stage was what happened after Jesus called them, come and follow me. They actually, at this point, by the way, had no idea of what was coming next, right? They just simply said yes. Do you remember where you were the first time you heard Jesus call you? Remember where you were on 9-11? <clears throat> we just recently re-remembered that. Melody and I were in a Park Nicollet office for a doctor's appointment, and we saw it playing out on the TV screen. Do you remember where you were when you said to your spouse, will you marry me? Do you remember the place? Do you remember the time? Do you remember where you were when you first got the news? I have a tumor. There are life-changing times when it gets riveted in us. This is where we first heard. When did you first hear and see? And what season might you be in this morning? So I want to share with you from the text just two steps to help us keep moving from fan to follower and hopefully to friend. Um, that friend season is a very, very sweet time in your life. And I don't think chronology has anything to do with it. It may have some to do with it. But there's an old gospel song written by the Gaithers and it goes like this. Since I started for the Savior, since his love he bestowed, since I gave my heart to Jesus, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Somebody asked me, why would you drive nine hours to speak for 30 minutes? Because I'm Dave's friend. Because I'm his friend. There comes a time in our walk with Christ when he just says, will you do this? We say yes, no questions asked. We, we don't get it, and there's, I, I think that friend stage means that we've come to a place where I know and I trust and I lean on his faithfulness enough, I, I don't need to know the why, I'll go. Because I'm his friend. And interesting, later in John's Gospel, Jesus says to the disciples, 
He said, I no longer call you servants. A little bit earlier, he says, you call me rabbi as you should. I am your teacher. You are the disciple. I am the leader. You are the follower. But right now, before the cross, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Because everything that the Father has revealed to me, I've revealed to you. And I want the closeness and the intimacy and the unity between myself and the Father to be our fellowship. This deep, eternal friendship. And you're not following just because you're learning. It doesn't mean you can't keep learning. But it means that you will walk with Jesus regardless of what you learn about him. So here's the first step. Say yes when he calls you. Look at verse 17. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets. Notice that it is a personal invitation. The thing that kind of struck me as I was studying, and it was probably a good thing, all of my books were packed away because all I had was the Bible. But it struck me that when Jesus gave a personal invitation, come and follow me, he had been actually following them. He went to go find them where they were. The text gives the impression Jesus was kind of walking along the Sea of Galilee and, oh, there's a person. Sometimes you may get the impression, too, that when Jesus called this, it was sort of like an alien abduction. Follow me. Yes, Lord, we follow you. And so the nets and the boat and the relatives, and they were just lifted up and put on a path and never looked back. This was a personal invitation where the Son of God was seeking those men. You and I need to remember that. As one theologian put it, God is always previous. He's always there before you. He has been seeking you. Our Heavenly Father has taken a thousand steps in our direction in order to bring you home in order to bring you to Christ, in order to bring you to salvation. And he asks you to take one step, just say yes. How many of you have a, um, something that a famous person has signed? Anybody have anything like that? I know you do. Who else has something? Yeah, what do you have, Dave? And who signed it? And when Troy was signing it, um, did he know where you, who you were? Did he say, now tell me your name? Nope. So it was valuable, but it was not personal. Jesus knows your name. When he calls you, he calls you because he has set his love upon you from before the foundation of the earth. He wasn't just walking along the Sea of Galilee and happened to bump in. So my encouragement to you is to say yes to him, a personal invitation. And then it's a powerful invitation. It's a powerful invitation to follow him, to be with him, to learn from him. But he is not your personal trainer for your best life now. I'm sorry. If you are really into binge-watching reruns of Dr. Phil, um, 
you know, people mean well, they just say stupid and get paid for it. Jesus is not in the business of helping you have your best life now. He's in the business of calling you to himself and then setting you and me on mission as fishers of men. And our pastors have waxed elegant about what that means, and they've, you know, actually they've spun evangelism things out of what does it mean to be a fisher of men? Well, you've got to have the right hook, and you've got to cast in the right place. Well, you forget that in the context of the Scripture, they were using nets. They were not using bait. I think what Jesus was saying is not that you're going to get those sinners and you're going to hook them, you're going to reel them in, they're coming to Christ whether they want to or not. Just don't let them off the hook. I think Jesus is saying something totally different. I think what he's saying to those fishermen, as much as fishing is your life and consumes you, it's all you think about when you get up because if you don't catch fish, you don't eat. It's your business. It's your livelihood. It consumes you from sunup to sundown. I think what he was saying, follow me. And this kingdom that John was preaching about, this kingdom that I've told you is here. The kingdom is here. The king is here. I'm going to make you into the men and women who will go out and invite others and tell them. And this is one of the phrases in Mark. Look at verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. When you and I are called to follow Jesus, he will make us into the kind of men and women and young people who all we can think about is how do we share the good news of God so just think of that phrase for a minute, the good news of God. When John the Baptist came, there was 400 years of silence between the last prophet in the Old Testament and John the Baptist. God had said nothing. He was not up to nothing. In fact, years ago, I saw a bumper sticker in Chicago that said, Jesus is coming, and boy, is he pissed. That God is upset. He's coming back. What is the good news of God? that you're going to be learning about in the Gospel of Mark. John records that Gospel, doesn't he? In chapter 3, verse 16, For God sent his Son into the world. That's 17. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then the next verse, we don't often attach to it. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The good news of the kingdom is that the king is here and there's finally hope. That's what following Christ is meant to be a life-changing message and a way of life that you and I follow. It's really important to make sure that when you hear God's voice, you say yes. I have a question. Anybody, you don't know me very well, and oh, he's walking around. Oh, boy. 
Um, does he realize how much time he burns when he walks around? I wonder if his outline is too short. Anybody on this side, anybody um, trust me? It's okay if you don't. I totally understand. I, you don't know me very well. Anybody trust me? You, do you trust me? Oh! Yeah, I do teach at Northwestern, but it's in, it's in the School of Nursing, in the mental health department, so that... <laughs> it explains a lot. Um, anybody trust me? You trust me? Can I have your wallet, please? Oh, thank you. And uh, now, the, about the powerful invitation... Um, well, actually, I'm going to give you back your wallet but I'm going to give it back to you with something that you maybe didn't have in it before, and that's a $100 bill. No, I didn't take it out of the offering plate, Russ. I'm <laughs> <clears throat> but I want to give this to you as not only a reminder to you, but a reminder to all of us that when we say yes to God, and there's that act of faith, right? We say yes to God. But we don't have any guarantee of what he is going to require of us. Can I encourage you that saying yes to God will always put more into your life? Always give you more? Because we're doing this, right? God, God speaks to us. He calls us. There's an ask. We hear his spirit. And then we're thinking, am I going to trade up or trade down? Is this going is, is to be a benefit or is this going to be a negative? I just want to encourage you this morning. When Jesus calls you, say yes. Say yes when he calls you. Here's the last point. Say close, stay close when he leads you. And in parentheses, try to keep up. Look at verse 18. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boats mending the nets. And immediately, there's that word again, the second time, immediately, he called them. They left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. There's an old Hebrew adage that says, May your clothes, may your robe be covered with the dust of your rabbi. Because in that culture, it literally meant you followed, and you were to follow so close that as your rabbi walked, his sandals would kick up dust that would collect on your clothes. But following close to Jesus also means that we have to count the cost. Look at the text. Immediately he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat. And who else did they leave there with their nets? Good morning. The hired servants, which meant in that culture, if you had a fishing business where you had to hire people to work, this was a going concern. You're leaving a lot. You're leaving your business. And you know there wasn't discussion. At least the text doesn't tell us there was. Immediately they left. I think it's because after the first meeting, after the first meeting as a fan, they were ready to follow when the ask came. 
will follow you. And back, and can, can you imagine that moment, okay? Jesus calls you and you're standing there fingering the nets. Should I go? Should I not? I got, should I go ask my family? In our culture, that's important. In that culture, maybe not so much. I'm leaving my business, my boat. Who? Somebody's going to take my boat. Can you imagine what it was like to hear the call of Jesus and you didn't stand there counting the cost of what you would leave, but you decided to follow not knowing what the cost would be down the road, right? I don't think any of the disciples had any idea of what it would involve to follow Jesus. They have to make some choices, though, about who's in charge of my life. They also would have to make some new discoveries. And I'll end with this. I know you're going to be studying this. It just, it just hit me. You, you say yes to Jesus. You leave all of your stuff. And then what happens in the next verse? Verse 21. They find out that Sabbath worship is still really important to the Son of God because that's where they go. Verse 23. They find out that demonic, um, satanic demonic possession is a real thing. It happened right in the middle of church. You just started following Jesus and you're witnessing an exorcism. You better keep up. In verses 30 to 31, when he goes in to heal Simon's um, uh, mother-in-law who was sick, they learned immediately families matter. And that's the positive side of that. The other side of that is Jesus may be all up in your business of your family. It's not just you. They learned in verse 32, all physical healing in the kingdom is possible. It's not all promised, by the way. Amen? We can use a dose of biblical faith on either side. I have very close friends who have stopped following because when they prayed, God didn't heal. Every sickness, every illness, it's possible for the Son of God to bring healing. They didn't know any of that. So when you say yes to Jesus, you will have to make some hard choices, but you're also going to make some phenomenal new discoveries. You're going to find some of your priorities aren't what Jesus' priorities are. They've been teaching all day, healing lots of people. Jesus goes off to a solitary place. Who's upset? The disciples. Jesus, everybody's asking about you. Your PR is going down. Jesus, we're on a roll. You've got to... And Jesus changes the priority and said, no, we're going to go somewhere else. and t- Somewhere else. But Jesus, it's, let's strike while the iron's hot. Things are going great here. No, I have a mission, and so follow me to another place. Some of you, when you joined this church early in its history, weren't sure it was going to make it. Amen? I know what that's like. I've been a pastor in three churches. But you stuck with it. You knew God had called you here, and so you stayed. If you have sat down and stopped following, please understand, there's no condemnation. Especially at a church like this, but some of you may have discovered the cost is too high. 
or the discoveries were too hard. God doesn't always answer prayer. Safest place in the world is not the will of God. Don't you, don't you love Isn't that a great? The safest place you can be is the will of God. Isn't that warm and beautiful and make you feel great? It's just not true. It's just not true. Was John safe before he got beheaded? Were the disciples safe? Was Paul safe? Every city he went into, there was either a revival or a riot. Safety defined by us is not the promise of God. God did not save you to give you a safe life. He saved you to make you dangerous in a dark world by being an ambassador of a kingdom where every sin and every Every illness, every malady of the enemy, including the demons, are at your disposal, under his feet, under your feet. God didn't come to make you safe. He came to make you dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. But some of us have felt like it's too much. And I get it. I have felt times it's... It's too much to being a pastor. It demands too much of my family. I got to a place where I was just tired. You know, after, after preaching for 21 years, I, I really had a season where I had actually stopped growing as a follower. I'd stopped growing as a learner. I was producing sermons but I, was, I didn't have the dust of my rabbi on my clothes. And it took me a while. It took me a while to learn how to be a Christian without being a senior pastor. But I wonder this morning, I wonder this morning as we close, maybe you're a fan. You've been drawn here because this church has a great kids' ministry. People are actually happy here when you come. They greet you. They learn your name. They invite you to a study. And you like it. But I wonder if the time is coming for you to make a transition from being a fan to a follower. Jesus, I want to learn how to get your dust on my clothes. I want to learn what it's like to be your disciple. Some of you who have already moved from I'm a follower to I'm a friend, please understand you are so needed in this church. This church needs men and women and young people who are so enraptured with their love for Christ, they'll do anything. You need to be inspired by them. So as you grow as a body, if you're at the place where you're saying, I'm a fan, but I'd really like to become a follower, I want you, you can do this right after the service. I want you to go up to Pastor Dave or Pastor Russ, and I want you to say these words. I said, yes, I need to grow. Would you help me? If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, you're here because someone invited you to come. We are so glad you're here. And you're kind of like, Peter and Andrew, this is the first time you've bumped into Jesus. You've hung out with Christians who actually didn't beat you over the head with a sign. They're actually nice people that love God, and if you hang around enough, they'll love you. But if you've never trusted Christ, here is the good news of the kingdom. God is building a family, and he wants you in it. 
And so if in your heart you're saying, I would like to know what it means to just trust Christ, I want you to go up to Pastor Russ and up to Pastor Dave and say, I said yes. They'll know exactly what you mean. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, your words, your way to your people in your house. Amen.